Welcome to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Katherine Miller. Divorce Dialogues brings expert guests to the airways to talk through your divorce questions and fill in the gray areas about separating. From thinking about divorce, to how to behave during divorce, to what to do after, this is Divorce Dialogues. Welcome to Divorce Dialogue. I'm Catherine Miller. I'm the founder at the Miller Law Group and director at the Center for Understanding in Conflict. And I am on a mission to change how people divorce and help them divorce with dignity. And I'm really excited today because my guest, Melinda Prevatera, is not only an expert and a terrific family lawyer based in Philadelphia, but she's also a good friend of mine. And Melinda represents clients in all areas of family law, including child support, custody, legal separation and domestic violence, and she also got a certification in mediation when she was getting her law degree at Rutgers. Welcome, Mindy. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you, Catherine. I love being here. I love talking this on these exciting topics. Yeah, so we're going to talk today about postnuptial agreements, and in my experience recently, a lot of people are thinking about doing postnuptial agreements because things have changed in their marriage or or in their work situation. So, could you help our listeners by explaining what a postnuptial agreement is and how it works? Absolutely. So, a lot of people don't know about postnuptial agreements. They hear the phrase prenuptial agreements, which they understand is a contract you enter into before marriage that helps you determine your contractual rights regarding the law or division of property or support. Postnups actually work very similarly in that they are a contractual agreement between the married parties that help determine their rights if they end up getting divorced related to support or division of property. Why would somebody want to enter into a postnuptial agreement, and, and who do you think should consider one? So I am so passionate about this topic because so many people don't understand whether it's a prenup or a postnup. And when you get married, you are actually already entering into a, a legally binding contractual obligation based on your state's law. You just don't know it. So you are already getting into legal requirements just by getting married alone. And oftentimes when people meet with divorce attorneys, we have to explain what that law is. So one of the huge benefits that everybody should consider related to postnuptial agreements, even after you're married, is that you get to determine your own agreement on what laws should apply. So for example, when you're talking about, you know, you're you're married, you own a house together, maybe one party's working, one party isn't, you can determine between the two of you if we decide to separate or get divorced, how do we want our futures to look like? What do we think is fair? Which is oftentimes very different than what the law believes is fair. Yeah, so I think that makes a lot of sense because it's one of my pet peeves that there is no class in high school that explains basic laws about family 
family creation, what it means, what it doesn't mean, who owes what and, and under what circumstances. And I think there's a lot of misunderstanding. So what I hear you saying, Mindy, is that one thing that you really think is important for people to understand is how the laws relating to families impact them with or without a prenup or a postnup agreement. Is that right? Oh, absolutely. And I agree with you on the pet peeve. There is no education around what it means to discuss financial obligations to one another. Or a lot of couples are, there's this stigma around prenups or even talking about the financial obligations to one another or what people's rules may be after they get married. It's a little bit uncomfortable and taboo. And one of the huge benefits I found about the prenup conversation and even the postnup conversation is I see it making marriages stronger, not weaker, because what you're doing is you're really starting to understand what is important to the other person about the relationship. So, for example, if you're too uncomfortable to enter the marriage having conversations on what a person earns, how they think money should be treated during the marriage, should we keep our money together, should we keep our money separate, you know, what kind of family money or inheritance or, you know, other obligations, you know, extended family members believe that money should mean to the marriage. If you don't have this conversation before marriage or even during the marriage, you're not building that foundation of which a lot of the big problems in marriage come for, which is the misunderstanding of our roles and expectations and how to work together as a team. You know, I love what you're saying, Mindy Pervitera, because actually I think that a lot more couples spend more time talking about the color of the napkins at their reception than they do about how they're going to handle money during the marriage. And I actually said that to a journalist at the U.S. News and World Report, and they thought it was actually such a good point that they've quoted me in an article that came out a couple of weeks ago, because it's true, right? It's true that money is such an uncomfortable topic, and sometimes people just don't want to touch it, because what if they disagree? But if they disagree, they should get that worked out either before they get married, if they possibly can, in a prenup or other kind of conversation, or even after they get married, during the marriage, because a lot of, I mean, it's very common conventional wisdom that one of the biggest reasons that people get divorced is money. Now, I might argue with that based on what my experience is, but money is definitely a big topic of disagreement. In our practice, I don't know about you and you can tell me, but if people can get on the same page and make a plan together about how they're going to handle money, that is likely to strengthen their relationship. I think you agree with that, do you? Oh, 100%. And, you know, it's it's money and it's communication. And a lot of times when you're, and, and I love that about the napkins, you know, because there is so much emphasis on the wedding. And even in, in this 2000, you know, or in 2022, there's still this idea of sort of, you know, love overcomes all, this fairy tale of marriage. When anybody who's been married knows it's, about communication and compromise. And I'm not saying compromising yourself, but it's really about understanding what our priorities are in life and how we can, you know, co-mingle that into a successful relationship. So 
communication is a lot about, okay, what happens if I get pregnant? Do I want to be a stay-at-home mom? And if so, how would that look, you know, in one year, three years, five years? Or do I, you know, never want to give up my career? And I really find it really important to always be financially independent. And oftentimes people never have these conversations before marriage or even right after they're married. And then they get sort of, you know, you hear a lot of the problems come from, well, I really, I never thought she would stop working and she she decided to stop working or even keeping it gender neutral. You might hear, I always thought he would be more ambitious and he just wants to, you know, not work as hard or, or just whatever it might be. If you don't have these communication skills, you are not managing expectations about what life looks like as a couple. I think those are great points. I just want to remind our listeners that I'm Catherine Miller, and you're listening to Divorce Dialogues. We're here on WVOX 1460 AM in Westchester County every other Wednesday from 5 to 5.30, bringing you the information and thoughtful dialogue you need to divorce with dignity. And of course, we're also available as a podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and on the podcast website, divorcedialogues.com. And I'm talking today with Melinda Prevatera, a, a renowned Philadelphia attorney about postnuptial agreements and how they can help you in strengthening your relationship and what it actually means. And there's one thing I just want to point out to people, and that is that all marriages end. All marriages end either by death or divorce. And the law and as you pointed this out earlier in our conversation, the law has something to say about what you do and do not, can and cannot do at the end of the marriage, whether or not it ends by divorce or death. And it's something most people don't have any clue about. And a postnuptial agreement, as well as a prenuptial agreement, can really help make sure that when, not if, when the marriage ends, you're able to do financially what it is you would really want to do. And so what is your thinking, Melinda Prevatera, about the end of a marriage and how a postnuptial agreement can really help people with effective estate planning? Oh, this is so interesting. And and I got to say this because I love you pointing out how marriages end, whether it's by death or divorce. I have seen more people come in for a divorce consultation where they're saying, we're at a point, we're at a breaking point, whether it's over money or ideas of, you know, the rules in the relationship, they really think that the marriage is at its end. And they come in for a consultation with me to discuss divorce. And I love talking about people's goals and people's fears and really get to an understanding of why they believe the marriage should end. And so many times I hear it being these issues that prenups or postnups really help resolve which is a misunderstanding or a misagreement about money because they people feel insecure and they, they're fighting about money or they're fighting about inheritance. Maybe somebody just got some money from their parent passing away. And I explained to them how they can alleviate this fear or this contention by having an agreement in, in legal writing, which would be a post-nup, where you're protecting these fears. You're really protecting a lot of these issues and you can then refocus on whether the marriage will overcome this, whether it should stay intact. 
And that's where I think a lot of people, especially after they've been married a while and they're getting older, maybe they have a blended family. This is a, you know, a, a second marriage and you start talking about estate planning and you start talking about if one predeceases the other or if the marriage ends by divorce, who is getting what? And postnups are such a powerful tool to alleviate so many of these concerns so that the couple can live together but feel that financial freedom to do with their estate as they wish. Yeah, I think those are really good points. And I just, in the divorce context, I'd like to tell you and our listeners a story about a couple that I had in mediation a number of years ago. And these people came in and they really disagreed about money issues. And they had enough money to cover their living expenses, but they just couldn't agree on their priority. He wanted to make sure they were always saving, saving, saving for retirement. Although he had a hobby, he liked to spend a little bit of money on that brought him a lot of joy. And she thought, you know, I'm good with saving for retirement, but life's not worth living if we can't go to an occasional concert. And we went back and forth and back and forth. But actually, there was a situation with the wife's job. And it was really awful, the situation she was going through. And the husband was so supportive of her that toward the end of the mediation, I had written up the, the settlement agreement, the whole thing. And I just turned to them one day and I said, if you guys could just work out this budget thing, would you want to say married? And they said, oh, yeah. And I'm like, well, we can do that. And so that's what we did. And we worked out a budget. And I'd already done all the budgeting for them. So I just had to say, look here, this is how you can make this work. And they were like, terrific. And they're still married. And I know because one of them called me a couple of years ago to ask a question. And I know that they are still together. So, yeah, I think you make an incredibly good point about how strengthening this conversation can be when people disagree and they don't can maybe get help until they think it's too far gone to repair it. For my people, it wasn't, but for other people, it, it might be because they've been fighting for too long. I so also I think-, think that a lot of people get stuck, especially after they've been married for a while, when, you know, life is so unexpected at certain times. Maybe you lose a parent, maybe you lose a job, but there's something that happens that you didn't expect that changes your trajectory. And a lot of times I hear, like, I have a client that said to me out of the blue that he quit his job and he wanted to start his own business. He wanted to start his own business and he was, you know, he had this life-changing event where he lost his mother And he was like, what am I waiting for? I've wanted to do this my whole life. I'm ready. And his wife, who was very risk adverse, kind of like the saver in your story, you know, she wanted to retire early and she didn't, she didn't want him to quit his job. And she was so worried about how this would affect the family from the risk adverse life savings. And this was where the the post-nup conversation was so effective because What we discussed was you can protect all of these financial savings where he can't use any of those savings for the business. And now anything that he earns in the business, the income he can contribute to the family, but he can protect the business and the growth because he felt very resentful that he wasn't getting her support. So the trade-off was the wife was able to protect what she wanted and retire early. So she still got her objective 
And the husband was able to take this life-changing risk and protect the business. So the two of them were able to save the marriage because they were still able to sort of get what they wanted out of life and feel that safety and security that actually does come from marriage through the vehicle of a postnuptial agreement. I think that's really illustrates such a strong point that a postnuptial agreement can be part of financial planning and can give each person the safety and security and knowledge about what will happen and they can stop worrying about the what ifs. My mother-in-law often says that her prenup agreement, but the same idea, kept her married to her second husband because she didn't have any fantasies about what was going to happen if she divorced him when she got mad. She wasn't like, oh, yeah, well, I'm going to take you for everything you were worth, right? Like none of that fantasy came into her mind because she's like, you know, that's not happening. So I can make some really real decisions about what I want to do and perhaps a pretty non-romantic way, but pretty realistic in terms of really thinking through what divorce finances look like. And a lot of people have a misunderstanding about what they're what they're either going to get, what they deserve, or the fear that they won't be able to live the lives that they've been living going forward. I want to remind people that I'm Catherine Miller and that this is Divorce Dialogues. We're here as a podcast on Divorce Dialogues or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we're also available every other Wednesday here on WVOX, 1460 AM in Westchester County. And I'm talking today with Melinda Prevatera about postnuptial agreements. And Mindy, if people are interested in finding out more about you or what you do, how can they do that? Oh, thank you. So, yes, so our law firm, Petrelli Prevatera, you can go to our website, www.petrellilaw.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at Lawyering for Love because I'm actually a divorce attorney that believes in love and believes that self-love is the most important love of them all. So well, that's a great segue into our maybe our final piece of this, which is why should people think about this? And if they are thinking about it, what do you think is the best way to go about getting one and raising the topic with your spouse? You know, perhaps a post-nup is a good idea because before I, before I give you the opportunity to answer that question, I think for so many people feel like raising this topic pre or post-marriage feels like an attack on the marriage, feels like a a criticism of their spouse that I want to protect myself from you, when I think we've talked about a number of reasons why that's not true, but I think that it's really a difficult conversation. So I'm curious about your thoughts on that. Oh, yes. And I'm so glad you brought this up. And you, you said this earlier when you said it's looked at as such a non-romantic gesture. So when you're engaged and there's all this excitement around love and building a future together, a lot of times when you bring up the dirty prenup word, people get so offended. It's very stigmatized as only for, you know, the wealthy and only for those who think they would get divorced. And I really want to break that stigma because it really is a conversation everybody who's getting married should have. It is not for the wealthy. There's this, there's this idea that, oh, we don't have anything to fight over. And people like that, right? They like this idea of building a future together. And I really invite people to challenge this idea that prenups or postnups are only for people who have money or a lot of assets or wealth. Because the people with a lot of wealth 
they already have their assets protected in trust. The people, especially because a lot of couples are getting married later in life, in our 30s, maybe even our 40s, you have assets. You have probably a decent paying job. You have some 401ks or retirement planning, and you might, might even have a house. Those people, which is many of us, the majority of us, we're the ones that need to plan to protect what we have and sort of understand when we join together, what's our growth from there going to look like? In other words, how do we define our roles in the marriage and have these financial conversations now? And it's actually not unromantic. How many people believe that adversity or, you know, I don't want to say fighting, but I want to say really disagreement makes people come together, right? You know, the more you get to know each other, your communication style, what you believe, the closer you feel to that person. So what is more romantic than really getting to the core of how a person sees their future one, three, five, ten years from now and planning to overcome any obstacles that might get in your way of being together? So I actually invite people to think about this quote-unquote non-romantic kind of financial conversation, even if it evokes some deep emotion and disagreement, as an opportunity to grow and really dig deep and sort of plan to overcome all those anticipated obstacles in advance. I think you make some really good points and that I don't think that a prenup or a postnup agreement stops people from forming a partnership, but it sure does make them think about and talk about what a partnership means to them. And I think that that is one of the biggest underlying causes ultimately of divorce. And speaking of divorce, 50% of people who get married get divorced and nobody lands for that. No one walks down the aisle thinking, you know what, seven or 15 or 25 years, this is going to be over and I'm going to be getting divorced. Of course, no one thinks about that, but 50% chance that you are, right? And so you just don't know what's going to happen. My crystal ball has been in the shop for decades now, and so it's really hard to know what is actually going to happen for people. And we buy life insurance. Nobody especially wants to die. We know it's inevitable, right? We buy medical insurance. No one wants to get sick, but we know there's a pretty good chance of it. So this idea that we're just sticking our heads on the sand and thinking, you know what, there's no chance here that I'm going to get divorced. And if I talk about this, I'm not. I'm more likely to get divorced or not even get married. That's like having a symptom and not going to the doctor because you're afraid of what it is that the doctor's going to tell you, right? And another thing I think, and I'm wondering what you think about this, is that I actually think it's really quite romantic to give each other the consideration to hear each other out at a time where you love and respect and admire each other and think, when I'm mad at you, how do I want to treat you when I'm not mad at you? And I really do want to think about what's most important for you. Isn't that support? Maybe it's not romantic in terms of, you know, candy and chocolate and flowers and whatever, hearts and, you know, all that stuff. But it certainly is respectful and caring and loving to do that for each other. What do you think about that? Well, I think it depends on your love language because to your point, yeah, maybe it's not chocolate and candy, but different people have different love languages. And some of that is acting 
acts of service, like taking care of the person or, you know, showing support through other means or safety and security. So I will argue, and I believe it, that it is an act of love. It's an act of taking care of another person, even if, to your point, they're fighting or at their worst moments. So I think that this is something that everybody either going into marriage should be talking about and considering, or if you're already married and you're starting to see some cracks in that foundation, this is an opportunity to really solidify the foundation and lengthen your marriage. All right. So Mindy Barbatera, somebody's listening. They're like, yes, I completely agree with you ladies. How am I going to raise this with my spouse? What, what do you think they should say? And is there a better way to have those conversations than others? Oh, absolutely. And I talk, to, I talk to my clients a lot about this. And I think part of what the conversation needs to be in an open and honest way is coming from the angle of I want to be with you long term. I want to make this relationship work. I think that there is a way to have hard conversations in a safe way, right, in a way where we can both express ourselves and be respectful of our differing opinions and come out with an agreement between us, not what the law says, because guess what? We're already under an agreement that we didn't get to determine. So let's me and you come up with an agreement that we believe in and we want to abide on that we think is fair. I think that makes a lot of sense. So what would be somebody's first steps if they're thinking about a post-nup and just in our last 30 seconds or so, what do you think people should do? I think first they should really understand what goes into a post-nup because there's a lot that we should talk about as to the main topic, support, the division of property, estate planning. So I really think the first step should be consulting an attorney. And then the second step would be getting spouse on board or having a conversation with them about the long-term effects and benefits. And do you think this should be a facilitated conversation with a professional or should people try to talk about it in the kitchen? Oh, I, well, I think that they professional, for sure. All right. Melinda Prevatera, thank you so much for being my guest on Divorce Dialogues. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Catherine. I appreciate it.